This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 397. And the quote of the day is, if you don't try, you'll never know. If you don't go after what you want, you'll never get it. And if you never ask, the answer will always be no. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond. Hello, 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 hello. It is episode 397. We're getting really close to that 400 episode mark, and I can't believe there's 397. It just blows me away. And I don't know if you've ever listened to the the first episode, but the first episode is horrendous. And so was number two and number three and probably number 10 and 20. And the fact that people put up with me trying to figure this out over these last 397 episodes blows me away. So thank you for listening. If you listen to all 397 of them, wow, that's amazing. And But <laughs> thank you for sticking it out. And if anyone thinks that you're going to start something and you're going to be amazing at it right from the jump. <laughs> Go back and listen to episode one and listen how horrible I was and how timid I was and how scared I was and didn't know what the hell. I, I mean, I still don't really know what I'm doing. I'm still trying to just figure it all out. But uh, you'll see that it was really bad before. So thanks for sticking around. Thanks for being part of this this community. Thanks for listening and commenting and sharing and all that fun stuff. I appreciate it. And we'll get to 400 and hopefully five and six and seven and eight and it'll just keep going. So thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. And now let's get into business. Quickly, I want to let you know there is a dream symbol hang going down in Grand Haven, Michigan on June 10th from 6 a.m. <laughs> 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Sorry, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. The dream symbols hang going down at Third Coast Recording Company, Grand Haven, Michigan. And it's a symbol and beverage tasting event featuring a performance and hang with Scott Pellegrom. This is not a clinic. It's a hang. He's going to perform. There'll be symbols. There'll be drinks. There'll be food, all that kind of fun stuff. And the idea is to just get everyone on the same playing field and just talk about some drums and have some drinks. So check it out. Third Coast Recording Company, Grand Haven, Michigan, June 10th from 6 p.m., to 8 p.m. Check it out and you can learn more. Go to dreamsymbols.com and let's get into the conversation. This is my man, Doug Belote. And Doug, this is another person who was connected to me or, or introduced to me by my good buddy, Shane Terrio. Shane Terrio is the guitar player, music director for Hall & Oates. And he's also played with a ton of other people. And hopefully I want to get him on here. Uh, so Shane, hit me up, man. I want to get you on the podcast. And uh, Doug is a, he's, he's originally from New Orleans and, or uh, sorry, he's originally from South Louisiana. And since his early 20s, he began touring Europe and Japan and the Caribbean with New Orleans-based jazz, blues, funk artists, right? So he's recorded 100 albums with people like Mike Gordon from Fish and Jeff Coffin and George Porter Jr., Willie Nelson, Sonny Landreth, all of those people and more. And he also is currently living in New Orleans and he tours frequently with 12-time Grammy Award winner Jerry Douglas. Plus, he is working on an amazing documentary that we talk about in this conversation. So there's that and a lot more. And I hope that you dig it as much as I enjoyed having this great conversation with Doug. So without further ado, let's get into it with Doug Balut. Doug, what's going on, my man? Nothing much. Man. Hanging in New Orleans. Yeah, I love that city. I really love that city. I, I forget who I was talking to. Uh, man, I don't know who I was talking to about New Orleans lately or a couple of days ago. And I like I haven't been there. I've been there a bunch and I played there a bunch years ago. Uh, and I just haven't been – I haven't been to New Orleans in I don't think 10 years. And the thing I really love about it is it's the only place in the United States that – feels like you're in a different country yep you know it's part of the caribbean actually the way uh i think it was diane reeves or dd bridgewater one of those uh ladies they're both jazz singers but they both talked about new orleans you know you have cuba puerto rico and all these you know cities in the caribbean and new orleans has that same vibe as mm -hmm. uh, those places and it's crazy once you get out of this parish 
which only takes about five minute drive into Metairie uh, or Kenner going towards the airport, it just changes back to middle America. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's like a world into it. It's so, what I, what I thought was amazing too, when you're like sitting downtown, I remember looking up and I was like, what is that up there? And I was like, oh my God, that's the lake. Like uh-huh. looking up and like Lake Pontchartrain's like above. Uh-huh. That's what it is. Lake Pontchartrain, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. a, we're, we're six feet below sea level or seven, six or seven feet below sea level. And, uh, uh, that's, you know, it, it's weird, man. It's, it's nutty looking doing. up at a lake. Yeah, yeah. You know? And when you fly out of New Orleans, if you're in a window seat, man, you can see how we're literally built upon a swamp. We shouldn't – New Orleans should not be built where it's at. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know? But, you know, with the, all the engineering and smart people around the world, they figured out how to how to handle the water so far. You know? mm-hmm. And Well, that was the big problem with, with Katrina, right? Because it's like a bowl. And once yeah, the, it's, it's all about once the yeah. levee broke that, I mean, it's just, it just holds the water. There's nowhere for it to go. Right. Right. Yeah. Were you there during Katrina? I was here until the night before. It was weird because I was on a gig and we were all looking at the TV and I, I remember staring at the TV going, man, I'm going to actually stay here, you know? And then about five minutes later, my dad called and said, Hey, you know, your grandma's about to pass away. So you might want to come see her before. So I said, all right. So I came home and I, I already had my drums in my car and I, I knew my, you know, so I, I came back here, got a suit cause I knew we were going to have a funeral and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I said, well, I'm gonna just drive into uh, my dad with mom and dad at the time. We're living in Lafayette, which is about two hours from here. So I came home, got a suit and I was looking at my, uh, my box with all my passport and everything. I said, man, I better take this just in case that storm hits, but I doubt it will. I just took it in case. And of course I went home and the storm came a few mm. hours later. And, uh, so yeah, I was actually going to stay here and luckily I didn't. And, uh, it was a pretty tragic situation. Of course. You know? I mean, yeah. I think that, and I, like I said, I haven't been there in years, but, uh, I would imagine that people are still suffering from it or still recovering from it. Right? Yeah. Some people are, uh, people ask me about what's the, the state of New Orleans now. I'll always say that, the places that were fine are better than ever. You know, it's like, I mm-hmm. mean, the city the infrastructure is better than ever right now, but it's just, there's still, you know, neighborhoods in the ninth ward that never been rebuilt and, and, uh, other, other spots, New Orleans East, you know, mm-hmm. or in, uh, which is pretty sad, you know, but I mean, they're, you know, I always say there's always good and bad things that happen because of Katrina, you mm-hmm. know, and, uh, but everybody's been pretty resilient here, you know? So, right. Right. Rebuilding. How do you think it's it's changed the landscape of the music scene? Because I'm I'm guessing I could be wrong, but I'm guessing a lot of people fled and never came back, right? Yeah, a lot of people did. A lot of the musicians uh, eventually came back. Uh, that that's actually how I got to Nashville. Was uh, when Katrina happened. I came back about three weeks later. Uh, I had a I got back in the city. I had a fake uh, police badge <laughs> somebody gave me. And <laughs> so I got in. It actually worked. I got in. and uh, Oh, because they weren't letting anybody in. Yeah, they weren't letting anybody in. So we, we did that. And then <laughs> you're just uh, like, oh, let me, I'm, a, I'm a police officer. Somehow I got electricity back quick and, and I stayed around and helped out. And uh, and after a while, the it got so depressing. I had to leave. I had to go somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I was either going to go to Los Angeles or 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 back to New York. I, I'd lived in New York before. And then my friend said, uh, man, come to Nashville. So I went to Nashville and, um, I was just hanging out and that's where I met David Northrup and, you know, guys like Jeff Coffin, who I was touring with. He's a sax player for Dave Matthews. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and then, so I was just hanging out in Nashville and I was about, you know, just going to hang out there for three or four months and come back here or something. But then, the ball started rolling up in Nashville, so I just ended up moving there for about five years. Oh know? wow! And uh, that all that happened because of you know Katrina. I was just trying to get out of here because it was like it was hardly any places to eat. You know, like the supermarkets were like, I mean, it was it was pretty, you know, like like what you would think. Mm-hmm. No, they were they were you know, a, a lot of things were being done, but it was just it was just the vibe of the city was so bad, and I think it was my uh my chance to get out for a bit. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so, it, but the music scene 
now as opposed to before Katrina has changed tremendously. So many, like so many, so many musicians have moved to town and there's this big like swing, swing music craze, you know, like this, everybody's dressing like they're from like Little House on the Prairie. Really? And, uh, yeah, and playing all this old swing music, which is cool, you know, but um, a lot of people haven't really respected the tradition of New Orleans and um, and, they, and they call their music New Orleans music and a lot of it's not, you know, mm-hmm. but uh, which um, which is funny because I this documentary I'm doing right now that's going to be out later this year. That's one of the questions I asked everybody in the documentary about the, 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 the city, the music scene pre Katrina, as opposed to now. And everybody has some interesting stuff to say, but, um, you know, the music, the music scene here is still popping. It's just a lot of new people and, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of young people too, that's, mm-hmm. uh, which is good. It's good. It's a, it's pretty, um, it's still moving along, you know? So when you say that they're not, they're not playing, you're saying they're not playing traditional swing or cause like, cause New Orleans swing, like, are you talking about like, like Zydeco swing kind of stuff or like, no, I like, like, like uh traditional jazz, yeah. uh, or people call it Dixieland or, you know, it's, uh, basically just, you know, uh, older jazz, you know, like 1930s and, um, uh, 40s and uh a lot of people have moved here you know playing uh on the streets or in these little clubs but like i said there a lot of people would people that have moved here musicians that have moved here after the storm they label themselves as new orleans music but but they're not playing like the correct you know chord changes or feels that of, of what people did here since the you know 20s and 30s right right and, uh, but but it's uh but a lot of people have too you know they have mm-hmm. have respected it. There's some drummers moving here that have um you know that have had did their homework before moving here right uh right. you know uh which is cool like there's this little kid named Brandon Bull from North Carolina or South Carolina somewhere he studied with Stanton Moore and Johnny Vidakovich and he did his homework a lot before he got here mm-hmm. and he's working a lot and there's another guy named uh. Alex Hall, AJ Hall, he plays with John Cleary now, which is a gig I used to play with him. And he went he's from he's from Tampa Bay area and uh went to Florida State and he did his homework and he lives here and, and those guys are working a lot right now, you know, and they they've uh they've you know dove into the traditional I mean into the tradition of New Orleans drumming and mm-hmm. there's a lot more people too, but but there's a lot of people that have it as well, you know. If you come in there as a drummer and you're not playing traditional New Orleans music, do the people of New Orleans embrace that or do they sort of frown upon it? Yeah, it, it depends on the, the scene. A lot of the jazz musicians would would frown upon it because this city is is based around jazz and funk, New Orleans funk pretty right. much. Those right. are the two you know, uh, music that are New Orleans funk and New Orleans jazz is the two main music that keep New Orleans blood, uh, music bloodline flowing. And, uh, a lot of people like jazz musicians will frown upon it, but there's a lot of rock musicians that moved here that are really good because they like tradition of, um, of New Orleans music. Like for instance, there's a band called, uh, the revealers. I think it's the revivalists, uh, revivalists, revivalists. Sorry. Like that drummer, I think he was listening to Papa Gross Funk, mm-hmm. which is a great funk band from New Orleans. And it wanted, I think he told me that's the band that made him want to move to New Orleans. And he's a killer drummer. And he's, um, you know, and it's, their band is, is they're great. And they're, um, yeah. and they're, they're, you know, getting, they're doing a lot of things. They're getting big too. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of good things have, you know, have snowballed from it as well. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a good thing. I like, I like to see more rock bands original rock bands coming out of this town because there's not really many, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Where, so where are you originally from there? I, I was born in Lafayette, Louisiana. Okay. My, my mom's house is about an hour and 45 minutes from here, but I came down here since I was a baby. My parents always took me down here. We always came down here and I came to jazz camps and, you know, study with Johnny Vendokovich and mm-hmm. Ricky Sebastian and, uh, you know, all those guys that, such a young age. So when did you start playing? I started playing about, uh, 
I guess I started playing drums when I was 10 or 11 years old. Like got into band, the school band. Was that the influence of going to New Orleans or was that just something that, that I mean, was there music in your house? Because I know in yeah. New Orleans, it's sort of like, that's sort of your rite of passage, right? You play an instrument and, if you live in New Orleans. Yeah, uh, it's the same thing in Lafayette too. It's, uh, it's like uh, my dad was a studio bass player okay. in, uh, in Cajun and country and like Cajun country style, you know, like South Louisiana, Zodico, Cajun mm -hmm. A, they call it swamp pop, I think. But a lot of those, he wasn't a jazz bass player or nothing. But coming up, he always took me to see jazz musicians and parades and stuff. So that's kind of how I got into it. And I started playing at a church, of course. Mm -hmm. and, and then my dad, when I was about 11 or 12, I guess I was about 12, I got my first drum set. And my dad took me to see Johnny Vidakovich play. And that, that changed my life. And then <laughs> that'll do it. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's just, you know, I was really, into, it's funny because what, what got really got me into drumming was, you know, watching, of course, all the parades and second lines as a kid. But, but I was telling somebody that day, what, the song that really got me really thinking about drums was hot for teacher by Van Halen. Really? Which I can't even play it. And I don't, I'm not really a Van Halen fan. I'm a fan, but for some reason that song got me into it. And then, um, and then I just took a direct, different path. I was, you know, I wanted to be a rock drummer, but then when I met Johnny Vidakovich, I started getting into New Orleans music and, and then, uh, all kind of, you know, everything. I mean, whatever, just anything that made me think hard, you know, and really try to get into the source of it. Mm -hmm. The thing that's always been interesting to me that that's sort of like the intangible with New Orleans music, New Orleans funk, you know all that stuff is just playing between the cracks and, and, you know, bouncing back and back and forth between that sort of sw straight feel swung, you know, drop in. Like, of course, like Johnny is the master at it, you know, Stanton, all these guys. What was that something that you had to work on or just being from there? Is it just naturally how things sound to you and how they feel to you? Yeah, it was, it was kind of a, that kind of thing you're talking about with the straight versus swing, it was kind of innate. It just kind of, I, I don't know if you kind of, because I, I want to say I was kind of born with it because of the fact that uh, in the household, there was always Cajun music being played and, and New Orleans music. So it, it just made sense. Like when I heard Johnny Vidakovich play for the first time when I was 12, it just made sense. I, I told my dad, my dad said, what do you think? I said, he said, my dad said, can you think you can play that stuff? I said, yeah, I, I understand it. I don't know what it is, but I understand it. You know, it's like, and basically it was just, um, you know, like the stuff Earl Palmer used to do back in the day. And um, I, I don't know. It's just, maybe it's just the way we grow up. Our sidewalks are really screwed up here. You know, it's like everything's, I mean, I, there's holes in the streets. It's the same way the music, you know, it's like you said, in the cracks. I was I was trying to explain something to I was uh you know George Porter the bass player yeah of course me and him work a lot on records for European artists and Japanese artists that come to town and this one guy just hired us the other day during Jazz Fest to play on his record and he was saying he goes he goes man it's like you're using a click track but it still it doesn't sound like Nashville right you know on the grid I mm -hmm. said yeah well that's because it's the way we play we're still with the click. But, you know, we're still joined at the hip. It's just that, you know, his hip's taller than mine or something. It's like, right. it's something that it's just like, it sounds like it's not going to work. But then when you go in the control room, it works, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, Jim Keltner has that thing, you know. It's like, uh, and there's a drummer here named Carlo Nucio, who's by far the the best at that kind of thing. Like, making something, it, it, there's just a looseness, uh, there's a vibe here. And it's, it's you know, it's. It just uh, you kind of yeah you kind of once you live here it just kind of grows on you. What do you think is the best way to learn that kind of stuff if you're not going to live in New Orleans? Just like just listen, get, yeah, get a bunch listen. of New Orleans music and start playing along with it. Yeah, yeah. And I guess the dirty little secret is that like that a lot of people don't talk or maybe they talk about it, but like that the whole that it's a lot of it's based or most of it's based on the clav. So whether it be three two or two three, and I think that once you realize that it sort of opens up the door. If you don't get it and, and it's and it's not something that feels as natural and you're like, oh, wait a minute. Oh, OK. It's either three, two or two, three. Now everything makes a lot more sense when you listen to like any of those meters tunes or or anything like that. 
and it's crazy because you know um when i was go- i went to just school called drummers collective back in the 90s mm-hmm. i don't know if, i don't know if, I don't yeah, know if you heard of York, yeah. and um and that's when horacio or negro hernandez was just getting on the scene in new york and he was in he just came in my practice room and started jamming on the other kit with me i didn't know who this guy was nobody he was he wasn't even a household name at the time and i, I remember him I was studying, trying to study Latin rhythms out of this book. And he told me, he says, he says, look, the best way to learn this stuff is to go buy the old recordings, get to the source. You know, yeah, okay, the book is cool. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a tool to kind of help you kind of scratch the surface of it, but maybe visualize it a little bit or something. Yeah. And, but he always told me, he goes, go listen to these records or, or go listen to these guys, go listen to the, the source of it all, you know, then. And it's the same thing when somebody, uh, a kid asked me about two years ago, he has been working out of Stanton Moore's book and I, and I had him play something and it was just real stiff and robotic. And I say, all right, now you got to put, it's time to put this book away and go listen to preservation hall jazz band. It's mm-hmm. just go live and you know, just go buy some old recordings of, uh, you know, I try to make like, little bootlegs for people like about with, with Herman Ernest back in the day or Bunchy Johnson, all these older drummers, Smokey Johnson, they all, it's more of a feel thing, you know, like listening to an old Dr. John record mm-hmm. or, or an old, uh, dirty dozen brass band record. You'll just gain more out of that by listening and understanding it and learning it that way rather than just reading, uh, uh, a specific book. Cause this guy was like, he was, playing everything out of Stanton book Stanton's book correctly but it was like just too clean you know it's like right yeah I said man you gotta like you know loosen up the hands and because when you see Johnny Vidoc play it's like it's uh like you said he's he's playing in the cracks you know yeah <laughs> it's like, for sure and even you know Stanton if he's playing out of, even if Stanton was playing that stuff out of the book it would be oh right, right. it would be funky and swampy and you know it would be, it would yeah, be yeah loose and you know pulsing rather than yeah 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 you know super and you can stiff. still play it clean it's like you can't be like guys like me and terrence higgins and jelly bean and raymond weber we all have a cleaner way of playing because of you know what we were influenced by later in life mm-hmm. but we could still dirty it up and still use our technique to dirty it up you know right i wish i had a badass nickname like jelly bean yeah <laughs> you get me i need to get That's me a jelly nickname <laughs> Jelly Beans, he was the original drummer for John Cleary and the Absolute Muscle Gentleman. He's the one who started that drum sound with John Cleary, and he was also with George Porter. And, oh, and Russell Batiste. I mean, mm-hmm. you can't – that guy, I mean, Dude, to what's me, he? what's he been doing? I haven't – I saw him uh, with – who did I see him with? I feel like I saw him with – was he playing with the Funky Meters and – He got fired, I think. Did he? <laughs> but Russell's, was uh, he playing you know, with? I thought like, was he doing something? Was he was he playing Invita Blue for a while? Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. See, that's how that happened. It's what's crazy about that is um, just quickly the people for Vita Blue was uh, it's Paige McConnell from Fish's sideband uh, that he that he did a while ago, and I think they're actually going to start doing some other stuff again. But yeah, ahead. I think they they started doing it again. Yeah, because when when Fish. Before Fish kind of broke up or whatnot, mm-hmm. or picked their hiatus, each person in that band started their own project. And right. Trey, Mike Gordon, and uh, and Paige, they actually all came to New Orleans and got drummers. So Russell went with Vita Blue. Uh, I went with Mike Gordon's band, and Raymond Weber went with Trey Anastasia. Mm-hmm. So and uh, so you know we were all in those bands for couple of years each but uh but vita blue is actually touring again uh with O'Teal and uh and russell yeah russell man he just uh i don't think he's with he's not with the funky meters anymore he's just like uh playing with you know <laughs> trying to play he plays with his own band he writes his own music but right you know you know russell's russell man that's all i'm saying <laughs> i don't know him uh i don't know him personally so uh, i've never met him never had him on the podcast but he is a badass drummer Oh man, he is he is like taking he's like taking Billy Cobham and Tony Williams and melding into a New Orleans drum with Zig yeah. together. I mean it's and I mean 
Yeah, he's he's ridiculous, man. But uh, I mean, he's of course he's lazy, and and if he wants to play, sometimes like I'll go. Sometimes I'll show up at a club when he's playing. And I'll and I and I'll sit in the back of the room, and if he looks like he's just going through the motions of like just waiting for the gig to end, I'll kind of come up to the stage. So if he starts seeing a drummer, then he starts letting loose, you know. Right. And it's like, all right, there it is. Yeah. <laughs> There's some characters in this town, man. Yeah, 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 for sure. He's definitely one of them. So tell me, tell me about the. I remember reading that you sold everything you owned, including your drums, went to the went to Drummers Collective, right? Were were you were you always? And I bounce around a lot on this on these podcasts because my brain goes all kinds of places. Um, were I mean, were you thinking I'm, I want to go here? I just want to learn how. To, I just want to learn to get better. Or were you like, that's it, man? I'm just I'm playing drums. And that there's no other sort of path that I plan on taking. Yeah, I, uh, let's see. Uh, I, well, I went to I graduated high school, and then I, I was a, uh, I somebody introduced me to Ricky Sebastian. Ricky Sebastian's a drummer from here that had moved to New York, lived in New York for about twenty years, played with Jocko and Herbie Mann, and and he's one of the baddest fusion drummers. But he's one of the most one of the only American drummers that can play Brazilian music properly with brazilian artists and have made many records with them and i i heard about him he's from lafayette and lived here and, and i saw his um i heard him play with john Schofield on a bootleg tape and i said man i gotta figure out who this guy is man this is amazing and ever since then he's just became my favorite drummer and then he was teaching a drummers collective i saw him play live during jazz fest here in 1995 uh 94 95 and I went to Drummers Collective, so um, I had a I had a drum set and a truck and everything, and I was living with my parents. I was only like 19 years old, I think. And uh, yeah, I just sold I sold everything. I sold my truck, my drums, and I just kept my cymbals and my one bag of clothes. And I went up to New York and went to Drummers Collective and stayed with Ricky and studied with Ricky. And you know, I stayed up there for about I guess a little over a year. Mm-hmm. And and then came back to uh, Louisiana and ended up coming to New Orleans full time, and uh, yeah, that's what happened. I mean, I was so into what Ricky was doing and what he was doing in New York. I wanted to do that as well. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, and especially if he's yeah, from kinda, your from your town, it's sort of like uh, if he could do it, I could do it, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was. The, it's crazy because even though he came from the Cajun land, we're we're both Cajuns. Even though he came from Lafayette, he was one of the baddest cats in New Orleans in the early 80s, late 70s. And when he went to New York, everybody was hiring him based on the New Orleans thing because he was playing with Dr. John and then Jocko. And then he started playing with Schofield. But he was always using his New Orleans element mm-hmm. into all into what, what he was doing in New York. And that's, I just found that so intriguing. You know, it's like and he has a phrasing. His phrasing was like the late James Black. Uh, one of the baddest drummers to ever come out of New Orleans who passed away at an early age. But Ricky's Ricky, you know, Ricky can play like Vinny Caliuta, but sound more New Orleans, but doesn't has the chop. He doesn't have the chops Vinny has, but he mm-hmm. has some chops, but, but he has that kind of smart phrasing. Like, you know, like if you trade an eights or fours with him, he's like Vinny. I mean, you got to really think of this quarter note because <laughs> and he's, and he's right. You know, he's always right. He's, you know, and, uh, and, but he could just put the Brazilian thing and mix it with New Orleans, and it was just a beautiful thing, you know. I think that phrasing is such a uh, undervalued uh, way of playing or understanding. You know, if, if I think if you have a good feel for phrasing, then you could do a lot with it. And I I don't think that there's a lot of people who talk about it that often. Like, I feel like it doesn't, yeah. it's all like, oh, let's figure out styles, which obviously you should. And then it's like chops and all this other stuff and inner, you know, interdependence and everything. But like phrasing, man, phrasing is like, it's everything, isn't it? You know, what made me think about phrasing uh, with Ricky was, okay, I, I'm sure most of us are all fans of Dennis Chambers back when he was with John Schofield. Mm-hmm. Uh, remember that record well you know ricky was in john's band before dennis chambers so i heard these tunes that dennis played on his his dci videos and and on the schofield records i heard bootlegs of ricky playing those same songs before dennis and he had a whole different take on it and i really liked it more because 
it was he wasn't playing as fast or anything, but it was like it was just some it was just the way he went over the bar line and just the space and the phrasing. That's what made me realize like this guy's the shit. You know, it's like Ricky Sebastian, man. It it was um when I heard him play on this Schofield, like taking a solo over this vamp that most people know of Dennis doing. It was just Ricky had a whole different approach and it just made more sense to me. You know, it's mm-hmm. like it was like, uh, but it was, and I, I liked them both. Uh, and that's when I, was, I realized, like, man, Ricky can phrase like a saxophone player, you know? Right, and right. That's something I still work on to this day, that just something to do, you know? I, th- I think it totally changes your playing completely if you can start. And we, I use, uh, like, I don't talk a lot about technique and all that stuff on the on the podcast, but but musicality is something that gets brought up a lot and, and feel and groove and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, I just think that I think phrasing is sort of underrated and doesn't get talked about enough because you could totally change the vibe of a, you can play the same exact thing, but you can move the accents, you can move the groupings, you can, you know, however it's phrased or, or even just expressed differently around the kit, changing the voicings and all that stuff. And it's like, it's a totally different tune and you could yeah. be playing, we could be physically playing the same pattern with our hands, but just, you know, moving it, phrasing it differently, accenting it differently, orchestrating it differently. And to me, I think that's where the that's where the magic is. That's where you get mileage out of stuff too, I think. Yeah. And that's how Johnny Vidakovich plays. Johnny Johnny Vidakovich plays like no other drummer because well, like the difference between Ricky Ricky Sebastian will play some really advanced phrasing and he'll play at you rather than with you. Johnny Johnny Vidakovich is more older school, but Johnny comes his it's like more of a vocal style of drumming. Mm-hmm. You always hear the melody. There's no power diddle or anything in his playing. It's all it's just um it's it's vocal. He's always you could tell he's singing it. Like cause uh if he's playing a jazz tune and he's his turn to solo, you always hear the melody in it. Mm-hmm. And it's it's colors and sound. He's an, he's like painting a picture. Yep. You know, uh it's just, you know, that it's just um that's kind of like the difference and they're night and day. That's that's what that's what another person of phrasing, man, the way Johnny phrases is he's never in a hurry. You know, it's like right, it's right. just uh, it's, so, it's never about chops or anything. It's no. you know it's oh, it's so good. It's so oh, I just saw him. He was on a he's on a commercial uh for New Orleans that plays here. Oh really? Yeah. And I was like it, it, it's like I forget who there's somebody singing and then there's just you know, you see a drummer for a second and I was like, yeah. oh, and I was like, Oh shit, it's Johnny. It's pretty cool. He's like, he's in front of some, some, well, I don't know what building it is, but it's in new Orleans and they're Oh out. yeah. Yeah. I've seen that. Yeah. I know you're talking about, you know what I'm talking about. I've, yeah. seen, I've seen it was a tourist commercial. I think. Yeah. That's exactly what it was. Yeah. Yeah, it was like, yeah. it was like visit new Orleans or something like that. You know, it's funny. I, I saw Johnny play the other day and some Japanese tourists were in town and they were so intrigued in watching him. And the lady looked at me and she barely spoke English. And she goes, is that Barney Fife? <laughs> she thought it was. A- <laughs> I, was I, I said, uh, no, but not far from it. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> yeah. I know. Man. Like she, I guess she thought he was still alive. It's funny. She's just watching him. And I, I could see why she said it, it was just funny. It's like it's just <laughs> out, of, out of the left field, man. It's right. Like- <laughs> Look, my friends, you may sit at the back of the stage, but the band, it revolves around you, the drummer. You set the tempo, the intensity, and most importantly, the tone. And the easiest way to set the tone is to play Evans Drumheads with Level 360 technology. They're trusted by industry-leading drummers like Chris Coleman, and Evans Drumheads offer the most consistent fit for every drum and max tunability all around. Thanks to Level 360 technology, Evans drum heads fit perfectly across the shell and allow for increased tension to help you find your sweet spot. Plus, they take you well beyond the normal tuning ranges for higher highs and lower lows. So now the sound you want will always be the sound that you get. For more info and to learn more about the Level 360 technology, check out evansdrumheads.com. So if you're looking to get a new kit, you have two options. One, you can check out some pictures online. You can go to the store. You can see what they have there. You can drive to another store. You can find a couple more models and you can drive yourself insane driving all over the place trying to see what the kit that you want looks like. Or you can design yourself the perfect sonar kit using their SQ2 drum configurator. 
And this configurator allows you to build a kit from scratch, or you can use some of their predetermined configurations and then just modify them. But you can modify everything, the sizes, the configuration, the hardware, the color, and you can make it to your exact specifications. Not only that, you can get an overhead view, you can get a 3D image of it. All of that is built into the drum configurator. To build your dream sonar kit, go to sq 2 dash drumsystem.com or just google sonar sq2 you'll find it check it out the sonar drum configurator now let's get back into it with doug below i was going to say something about about you'd mentioned painting a picture oh so, so i mean there are people who can see who can hear in color right i forget uh-huh. that I forget the what it's called. Um, John Blackwell, when I had him on the podcast, he he had mentioned that that he can actually. I forget what the there's a term for it, but you can actually hear in color. And I wonder if guys like Johnny are like that, like you know, when they're hitting different symbols and things like that, they're seeing yellows or reds or blues or anything like that. Yeah, that's a that's an interesting question. I'm gonna have to ask him that actually. Uh, but I have heard that same Jeff Coffin was telling me about that. That some people see shapes and colors. Yeah, you know. I want. Hold on. I'm gonna while we're while we're sitting here. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'll look it up while we're uh, while we're yeah, talking, yeah. and I'll see if I can. I'll see if I can figure it out. So once you got back to New Orleans, did you already have sort of a network of people there, or how did you start? I think the hardest part when we have these conversations is well, that you know, then I moved to I moved to wherever LA or New Orleans, whatever, then, yeah, blah, 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 blah. And it's sort of like, we skip over all that stuff. And then yeah. it's like, and then I started playing with Dr. John and, and Mike Gordon yeah. and all these other people. And it's like, whoa, 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 let's rewind a little bit. And how did that, how did that stuff happen? Did you already have a network there or did you, how did you start sort of cultivating that network? With, uh, with, with, with in New Orleans or just with in, Mike? Yeah. Just in general. Like how did you start picking up bigger, you know, bigger gigs oh. and like, I'm you watching know, videos of you playing with like, clapped in and you know it's like that didn't happen yeah, overnight that, no uh, actually everything um i just talked to, about this at a school uh university here about networking Every, everything's based upon networking and if you want to get to letter c and you're at letter a you have to go through b and you figure out who b is so like i always wanted to play with um like you know oteo burbridge the bass player mm-hmm. and such Colonel a Bruce monster Ham- player yeah, and and one and it's funny because one day speaking of Russell Baptiste, they were doing the Vita Blue record, and Russell was playing with Papa Girls Funk, and and uh, Russell ran off the drums to go do something, and there the band there was just no drummer, so I went up and played, and that's where O'Teal heard me, and we became friends, and he recommended me to uh to Mike Gordon, and uh, and that's how I got in with Colonel Bruce and Mike Gordon. And then after the storm, I went to, uh, you know, fast forwarding, I went to Nashville and I was about to come home. I was just hanging out there. And then, uh, uh, this guy Guthrie trap, he's a a telecaster player in Nashville. He, uh, he hooked me up with, uh, this guy, uh, an audition with Jerry Douglas, who I still work with today. Jerry Douglas. Is that that all he plays is telecasters? Well, yeah, he's mainly known as a country telecaster player. Right, right, right. and, uh, I've never heard anybody referred to as a Telecaster player. That's what I love. It's it. like when my dad used to say, like, "Oh, yeah, he plays Fender bass." That's an old school term. Like, <laughs> yeah. he, plays he plays electric bass when they say he plays Fender, Fender bass. bass. Yeah, yeah. I, I went audition for Jerry Douglas, and I didn't even know who Jerry Douglas was. I thought, in while I was in the audition, I was auditioning for Jerry Reed from Smoking <laughs> the Bandit. And the funny thing is, I actually got the gig that day, and I still thought I had the gig with Jerry Reed. So I went home where I was staying and I told my my roommate at the time, this guy, Pat Bergerson, who's a great session guitarist in Nashville. I told him, I said, yeah, I got the gig with Jerry Reed. And he says, no, I saw Jerry in the hospital today. He wasn't. I said, no, he looked great, man. He plays his guitar in his lap. And so anyway, I, I got a gig with Jerry Douglas, didn't even know. And then I called him that night and said, look, man, I'm sorry. I, I don't know who you are. I, I, I went to the public library and I, I searched you. This is like way back 12 years ago before I had a, a, la- a working laptop. So I went to the public library in Nashville and I, re- I researched. I'm like, man, this guy does a lot of shit, man. So Jerry, I think Jerry liked the fact that, you know, I didn't know who he was. And, <laughs> but, but, you know, we, we still work together today. And, and I did that, that gig 
eventually I did that for two years and I went out with Larry Carlton, mm-hmm. you know, and that, that happened through Michael Rhodes, a bass player. You know, I just always was in with bass players and, and for some reason my whole career is based upon slide guitar players, uh, like Jerry and Jack Pearson. And then I went out with Derek trucks and, uh, Susan Tedeschi for a couple months. And then I was out with Sonny Landreth and it's all slide players. Yeah. Uh, Man, I remember seeing Derek trucks when he was like, I saw him when he was like 17 and he played with fish one night and I was just like, who's oh, he's this dude? Dude, he's, he's stupid good. It's, yeah. <laughs> I saw, I saw him play in New Orleans when he was like 15. It's, it was like, it's, how's that even possible? You know? Is that, where's he from? Is he from New Orleans or? He's from Jacksonville. Oh, okay. But he always, and that was another thing. Old Teal got me on that gig and then, uh, and, uh, I, yeah, just, Every, everything just snowballed from one thing to another. And then, uh, and then I had an accident with my hand once, uh, I was fixing something. I, I know it's just, it was a dryer, like a washer and a dryer and I got electrocuted, but I didn't die. Jeez. I, I and blew open. I had tw- 52 stitches. And it was like, yeah. And, and I, I overcame it after four months. I started, uh, playing again and, and then, I, uh, uh, I went out with this guy, Joe Sample, who was a piano, jazz piano player. I did that for a while. And uh, John Cleary. And you know, I'd moved back to New Orleans. And then, then I started working with Jerry again. So I had a place in Nashville again. So I just started going back and forth. And, mm-hmm. you know, just uh, just a freelance musician, basically. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. I, the, two, two things that, I, that you said that we sort of passed over, but I think are super important. One is if you are – a and you're trying to get to C or D or E. You got to go to B first, and then you got to get to C, and then you got to get to D. And I think a lot of people, you know, because I do like a lot of career consulting with people, and they're sort of like, I, you know, I want to get the gig with, you know, John Mayer or whatever it is. And it's like, well, you, he's an A list player, and you haven't even played with a Z list player yet. So you got to start. You got to slowly work your way up. Like if you're in a town. And you're not really playing any gigs. Don't get, don't try to connect with the most popular, you know, bass player in the town. Like, try to get the guy that's a little bit below, just a little bit out of your zone, just to get you yeah. t- up to the next step. And then c- once you connect with those people, then you connect with people a little bit higher, and and it keeps going. It's all about connection and relations, and uh, it's all about uh, networking. I mean, that's like, like for instance, one of my one of my dreams was always to play with Larry Carlton. I knew he lived in Nashville. And I knew the bass player that, you know, that played with him a lot. Michael Rhodes, who's a session bass player. He plays with uh, Joe Bonamassa now. And one day I, I hooked up with, with Mike at his house and we played and he would start recommending me things. And one day I asked him, I said, hey, man, if, if the opportunity ever arises that you think Larry ever needs a drummer, I would love to. Is there any possible way you could recommend me if, if, you ever, if he ever asked you? He goes, mm-hmm. yeah, sure, sure. And I totally forgot about it. And four months later, you know, Larry calls my cell phone and asked me to go to Europe with him. And it was all, you know, that's it. And, and that's the way I look at things. It's actually more important than graduation uh, from Berkeley or anywhere, man. It's like, it, it's just all about getting the gig or, or wherever you want to be. You have to make it happen. That's some shit my dad taught me. Oh, I still to this day have business cards. You know, I know it's some people laugh at it, but. I'm yeah, actually, I, I, as we're talking, I'm oh, flipping my business card yeah. in my hand. <laughs> I have one sitting on my desk for some reason. You're talking about it. I'm like, I'm holding my business card in my hand. And your business card's red, which is good because I have this blue business card that I've had since high school and it's got the same logo on it. And when I give it to somebody 12 years later, somebody goes, Oh, I have this card. And it's funny how they remember. So I was like, Why did you call me? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> it took you 12 years. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, it's just all about like, you know, whatever someone's always say, I told this kid the other day, he was asking me about how to get, you know, a gig or where was somebody you want to play with. I said, well, who do you want to play with? And he said, I want to play with so-and-so. I said, okay, well, who do you know in that organization? You know, he goes, oh, well, I know the guitar player. I said, great. With, you know, you make friends with him. Y'all jam, make sure you establish a connection and, you know, it's just about him trusting your playing and that's how things it's just everything snowballs and works on recommendation. Mm-hmm. And I would uh, say like hire those. If you want to work yeah. with that guitar player, hire them. Exactly. You know, and I mean, they reciprocate. Good. And it's, there's no, there's nothing wrong with, uh, with, uh, 
you know, like go and give your business card to someone like Eric Clapton or whoever the hell you want to play with. You know, it's like, you know, it's like, I mean, like for instance, uh, with Jerry Douglas, my, one of my first tours was opening up for Paul Simon and Steve Gadd was on drums. So it's like, you know, that's like the all time favorite. Right. Know? Right. So I got to hang with him for three months, you know, drink coffee and eat lunch, eat dinner, eat breakfast and go jogging and go to Starbucks every day with him for three months. And we barely, we barely ever talked about drums. We talked about food and Cajun, you know, Cajun food and mm -hmm. New Orleans and just anything, man. I mean, it's like, and you know, he, you, you have that trust in someone and you become friends. And, um, that's how I got with Joe sample. You know, he, he was one of the guys that recommended me, you know, Joe's like, yeah, I want somebody with, I can play like a New Orleans feel or something, you know, like, cause he's from the South and then Steve had recommended me. And so did Johnny Vidakovich, you know, so, so I had two of those people in my corner, you know, and it's, it's, but that, you know, that's just like, I've, you make friends with these guys and you, you, uh, you know, you, you show them that you're trustworthy and mm -hmm. that you can play and that, and that's, it's just, you know, I mean, I remember Dave Weckl telling me at a clinic a long time ago, like, you know, 20, 25 years ago that, you know, the, the whole business is based upon recommendation. You know, yep. it's like, yep. it's, that's, that's the main thing. You know? It's interesting about Steve Gadd, how he's so, I mean, he's so commanding behind the kit, but in, you know, outside of, if he's not behind the drums, he's sort of quiet and, and yeah. I don't want to say he's timid, but he's just, he's just a quiet sort of reserve kind of shy guy, you know, yeah, yeah. extremely nice, yeah. but just like. You know, you would think that he would be this big, like, egomaniac kind of, oh. and he's like the complete opposite of that. It's funny, man, because he would sit on the side and watch me play every night. I was never nervous, maybe the first couple nights, but because he was never out there, like, trying to make me nervous. He was he was so supportive. He's so supportive. And we would go, when we were off on the road, we'd go watch, you know, somebody else at a festival play. And, and even if the drummer, you know, was just, not that amazing, but he was just trying to play good. You know, Steve was would always sit there and watch him and, and compliment him. And, and, you know, that's uh, Johnny Vidakovich is like that. Russell mm -hmm. Batts is like that. You know, uh, there's never no competition or anything, uh, you know, uh, to make you feel like, you know, like he's squashing your head down or something. Right, right. I can't imagine playing at a festival and knowing that, like, Steve Gadd's out there you know, watch it. We play talk. <laughs> oh, oh, a friend of mine wanted to come backstage. He didn't even know who was playing with Paul Simon. His girlfriend had bought him tickets and I took him backstage. And the first person he comes up, he was walking up the stairs and Steve's walking downstairs and he sees him and he nearly faints. <laughs> he's like, Oh my God. And he's like on the ground. He's like holding his chest. And, and Steve's like looking at me like, what the hell's wrong with this guy? <laughs> I said, he's, he's nervous. He's scared. Cause you're here. And he's like, and he's like red. He couldn't talk. And it's like, ah, so, man, it, Steve's not that kind of person. He's, and it was just, uh, it was kind of funny. It was, but it, that's but, like uh, we. I went to, uh, I went to see Hall Notes, and we're backstage, and we're in catering. We're all eating at the table. To, everyone's eating at the Shane Terrio's there. You know, like Brian, everybody, and so. And my wife's like a huge Hall Notes fan, so I, you know, I brought her and and. We're, so we had uh, we ate in catering, and then we were going back to our hotel and sort of get washed up, and then we were going to come back and go to the show. And we're leaving, and my wife's like, "Man, it would have been really cool if we could have like you know met Hall Notes while we were backstage, and everything." I was like, "Who do you think was sitting at dinner with us?" And she goes, <laughs> "That was them." And I was like, "Yeah, who who do you think they were?" She's like, "Oh, I didn't know who. I thought they were just like some guys who worked for the band or something." <laughs> She's like, I haven't seen a picture of them since '85. Or whatever. I'm like, no, that was them. She's like, oh my yeah. god. <laughs> yeah, John, John Oates. I did a record with John Oates when I lived in Nashville. And man, he's just one of the sweetest guys you ever meet. Man. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah, they're. Both, I, mean, I mean, they were both like super, super nice to us for being for being part of the road crew. They were really. Nice. <laughs> I tell you what, that drummer Brian Dunn is. He's a monster. Dude, he can play his ass off. Man. Yeah, he can. And he's uh he's one of the most working drummers in New York. I've never met him, but I've I've followed his career. He's 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 a grooving machine, man. And 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 you can see why a lot of people was he's eight uh, first call on their list. You know. Mm -hmm. Yep. 
yeah, good good dude too. Great drummer, you know, like oh got, yeah, he's got the he's got the whole package. The other the other thing that I wanted to touch on, I brought this up briefly, but uh, I was saying about how the networking thing, like you know, going from A to B, B to C, C to D. The other thing is that most I've noticed this a lot with especially younger drummers that they're all putting thing whether they're putting things out on social media or just the people who they're connecting with they're all connecting with just other drummers exactly and i'm like you need to connect with some bass players man and some guitar players and some singers and some keyboard players and you know people who are actually going to hire you because 99 percent of the time you're not going to get hired by another drummer man let me tell you it's funny you bring that up because i got off of facebook i'm on i'm on instagram but i got off of facebook and um I remember some people going, man, you crazy. You need to get back on there. I said, they said, has it messed your career up? I said, not necessarily. I don't like putting videos of myself playing, but, you know, a lot of guys do that to impress other drummers, which is great. But a friend of mine the other day said, man, you need to start branding yourself and marketing. And it's like, well, this guy does it. This guy does it. This guy does it. And I said, you know, they're still playing in town. Like, what, what have they done? What records have they played on lately? Mm-hmm. See, what he don't realize, in my secret time, I'm out there trying to connect with producers and bass players. And, you know, it's like, right. That, that's, you know, it, like I said, man, there's, I'm looking for that direct pipeline mm-hmm. to get, you know, to get to the, to the heart of it. I'm not looking to impress, to impress, you know, Vinnie Colaiuta or something. Right, so right. maybe, you know, or, or who, whatnot, or whoever. But I mean, yeah, those guys—if they see you play at a festival, they'll, 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 you know, go meet you, and you know, everybody's cool. But you know, man, it, the basic thing is like, you know, hooking up with road managers and uh, and managers themselves. Like, there's a, you know, road managers and 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 regular managers have a lot to do with who gets hired. You know, yeah. So, and um, that's another thing of. Like like when Paul Simon once was looking for a drummer after Steve quit, my name was in the hat, and the the road manager called me and said, "Look, you're gonna probably get a call." It's like really? He goes, "You're number five on the list, though, or number four on the list." Right. I said, hey, "Well, who's at least you're on the list?" Yeah, I said, "Who's number one, two, and three? He goes, "Well, you look at it like, you know, Charlie Drayton, Steve right. Steve Jordan, and and I forgot who else." I was like, "Okay, well, I'm fine with being number five. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I I knew I wasn't gonna get the call, but it's funny because actually Paul had actually called right then and there. I was like, Oh wow. They called, they called Jerry Douglas's manager for my phone number. And then Jerry called me and goes, man, Paul's looking for you. So I'm like, Oh man, I'm sure it's nothing. I'm like, Oh, I'm, I'm all happy inside thinking, yeah, man, I'm gonna get the audition. And then when I actually called Paul back on his personal phone or with the, with his, uh, his, he has this guy that does all his uh, Vince, Vincent, I think his name was, a, I forgot his name, or Vaughn. He goes, hold on, here's Paul. And I was like, hey, Paul. And Paul's like, hey, man, look, uh, I have a friend of mine coming down to Nashville. I wanted to connect you guys. If, uh, oh. <laughs> I was like, oh. But it was, yeah, it was funny, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was just like one of those uh, – funny moment when you're like oh me they're like no 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 not you the guy behind you and you're like yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. hey man it, it's like at least you're you know at least you're in the room you know what i mean like you're yeah. you're you're in the uh you're in the neighborhood but i think that i think that you know connecting with all those people is, is so important like it's funny because i actually got off facebook myself and but before i still have my like my per like my business account and all that yeah, yeah. but not like my personal one and, but I would just get I would get inundated with friend requests, and it's people who I haven't met. But then when I look at who our mutual friends are, it's all just other drummers. Yeah, right. You know, right. so I'm like, oh, look at it, and it's like, and you know, there's 45 mutual friends, and they're all drummers. And I'm like, all right, they're just they just want to connect uh, because I, maybe they listen to the podcast or whatever, which I I understand. That's fine. Um, I just I mean, there's just part of my life that I want, I want to keep private. But, um, but the other side of that is like, I'm not, if you're a drummer, I'm probably not going to do you any good knowing me, yeah. <laughs> you know, like I got my gigs and I got my podcast and all that stuff. But like spend time, like you said, connecting with 
with MDs or producers or managers or other musicians or club owners or anyone yeah. who can get you the gig or like you said, is a direct pipeline to, to yeah. the artist or, or, or to getting you the gig or the tour or whatever it is. Yeah. It's just like, uh, like I work with rounder records, this guy, Scott Billington this producer. And I've done about seven records for him in the last two years. And it's all because of, I went, he went to see if Johnny can make a session once and Johnny wasn't available and I was there and I introduced myself to him and I gave him my card. He gave me a chance. And then that's how the ball started rolling. So it's just, it's like, it's just another networking thing of how you just got to want to make things happen. You got to do whatever you got to do to make it happen. But of course it, it's not, like you said, it's not going to all the drummers and saying, Hey man, if you can't make this or yeah, mm-hmm. that, sometimes that, that, uh, that turns them off, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's a way to do things that's subtle. You know? <laughs> yeah. And there's some guys that are super sensitive about it and think everyone's trying to steal their gig. Yeah. But some guys are like, oh, you know, if you become friends with somebody, like a lot of time, I got a lot of gigs from, from studying with people and then uh-huh. they would yeah. recommend me, you know, if I, if they couldn't make a gig or something like yeah. that, that would happen a lot. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Where, where do you live? Uh, I'm in the Bay Area now. Oh, okay. Yeah. So Zig actually lives like 20 minutes yeah. from me. Yeah. Yeah. Sig's on my documentary too. Yeah, I want to talk about that. Um, I mean, I guess now is a good time. <laughs> oh, <sure. laughs> I, that was the perfect segue. We yeah. didn't, and we didn't even plan that. That just naturally, <laughs> uh, that just naturally happened. So tell me. So Shane told me a little bit about the documentary. You told me a little bit about it, but but give give me the whole give me the whole spiel. Yeah. Gist of it is, um, first of all, I I want to pay tribute or homage to. Uh, like the top 20 something drummers that I was influenced by as a kid. Like mm-hmm. I said, when I was 12, my dad took me to see Johnny Vidocrit. So he's the first New Orleans drummer I ever seen play live. And then, then I met Herman Ernest who passed away, uh, you know, a lot of drummers. So basically the, the youngest drummer I have in my podcast is, uh, probably Gerald French or Jason Marsalis. You know, Gerald French is like, well, he's, uh, he's probably about, 46 late mid 40s but he's one of the last drummers that can play new orleans music uh traditional music with the uh uh you know with the true source of it and mm-hmm. and the feel because his whole his uncle was the you know was one of the famous dixieland trad drummers named bob french so he had the direct pipeline into new orleans music and so does jason marsalis of course his family mm-hmm. Yeah, Jason's a little, he's a little younger than me, but, but, uh, and also Adonis Rose. So it's like, those are guys I met in high school. And then I met, you know, so I interviewed about 25 drummers and, and, um, uh, asked them each the same, pretty much the same question. And, um, so we're trying to make this film, you know, I got, a I, I got, a uh, a whole crew working on this and, um, we we should have it out by, it should be done by, uh, august 1st nice. and then we'll have it in film festivals and then eventually put it on netflix or somewhat you know and i'll let you know but we're getting very close it's being edited right now as we speak awesome what's the name of the documentary yeah it's called uh street beat and uh street beat drumming below sea level <laughs> nice that's actually i said that because you know johnny vidagri said in one of his quotes he's like he's like when he was talking about some drummers that are pretty idiotic here, you know, that, you know, he goes, you know, a lot of drummers are, are, are below sea level, if you know what I mean. <laughs> <You know? laughs> that so, sounds like something Johnny would say. Yeah. So I, you know, so it's, it's called street beat and drumming below sea level. And it's just paying homage to, um, and, and just showing, I want to show the world, not just drummers all over the world, but everybody that would be into music or even if they're not, I just want this film to be to bring it out in the world because you know the right now the the biggest source for bringing New Orleans music to the world right now to me in my opinion is Stanton Moore. Mm-hmm. Stanton Moore just you know he's got books, DVDs, he's got his shit together, man. He's I'm like convinced that that there's you know? three Stanton Moores. <laughs> I, I don't know, man. I, I swear I don't know how he does it. Sometimes he'll be playing and we'll go get a drink after or something and hang out till like one in the morning, and he's like. Oh man, I gotta go. I gotta bring my girl to school at, you know, seven a.m. Yep. <laughs> and 
And he goes, yeah, I got, you know, I got to bring my daughter to school and drop her off at 7 a.m. I'll give you a call. Uh, and he's, he's, he's on schedule, man. Like, you know, he, uh, he just, you know, he, he's a businessman. He's a, he's an instructor. He's a, he, <laughs> that's he, he tours, he does clinics. I mean, he's like, he's, he's all over. He's got his, his online school. He's got, you know, all kinds of stuff. I'm, I'm still waiting for the stand more clothing line or the glasses line. You know? <laughs> yeah. Like, the glasses like line or the, I mean, if it was a clothing line, it would just be a black collared shirt. Right? Yeah. Black collar shirt with, uh, with the buddy Holly glasses. Yeah. <laughs> no, but he, he, could, uh, he could put like a little sunglass logo on the shirt. <laughs> it would be at a signature. It'd be gold. I got, I'll text him. It's duties. <laughs> yeah. You know, I do, you know, he, Shane has it. Shane would have to give it to you. I have, I do impersonations of a lot of, drummers and people and uh i got i got videos of johnny and and stan moore and they went pretty viral you know like i remember uh, charlie drayton texting me he goes man the stan moore impersonation was was spot on he's like you know oh dude you got to do it now oh i don't care I, I have to have my my glasses and everything i don't know but uh, it's changed well it doesn't matter You're, it's, it's just a, it's just a podcast so i do, oh, you, you no, just Shane, do- Shane will, i'll send it to you <laughs> it's right. funny he's like but uh, you know, it's like, um, yeah. So that going back to the uh, the film, man. I just, you know, I got everybody's input in it. Like twenty five drummers, Steve Gadd. I have uh, different, you know, uh, uh, special guests in it, talking about New Orleans. Uh, Jim Kelder agreed to do it, so I just got to get with him and 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 um, Mickey Hart. Um, yeah, it's it's got a lot of it's going to have a lot of history based stuff and and just a lot of true stories and you know. And I want it to be comical too, you know, because everything yeah. here is comical, you know, it's just, uh, um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's a whole different ball game here with new Orleans drumming. And I just want the world to see it because I had this idea along with my friend, Donnie Markowitz, who's producing this thing. Like I had this idea, you know, 15 years ago and then five drummers have died since then. And yeah. I'm like, man, if I don't do it now, then, you know, I want to get all these guys, you know, um, Mm-hmm. you know recorded and, and and get it out there for the masses to hear and see of course i mean that's uh, like i'm i even kick myself now since i started the podcast like i wanted to get jabo and clyde on here and didn't get either of them so i'm like you know so, i mean there's there's guys who are getting older that i definitely you know definitely want to get be, before they're yeah. before they're no longer with us you know yeah for sure yeah definitely so if people want to um, keep an eye on what's going on with the documentary and all that stuff, is it where's the best place to go to your website, or is there another website for the documentary? Or um, man, I know that I know where I think we have a website. <laughs> I don't even know the name. <laughs> That's sad. Well, here's uh, what we, we can. Well, here's we, we have can, an Instagram account. Okay, what's the uh, Instagram? A street. I think it's Street Beat the movie. I think. Okay, drumming for low sea level. Uh, I could find out for sure. In um. Uh, but that's I know we have an Instagram account. I have my Instagram account. And we'll, uh, I'm at Doug Belote, and um, you know my, my website's dougbelote.com, which I'll I'll once the web once the movie's out, I'll have uh, I'll have that as well. You know we'll we'll have it. Uh, I'll let everybody know for sure. Cool. And the uh, the the good news is I can take everything like all the links to everything. It'll be in the show notes for the podcast too, so people can. So people can can find that and uh, and all that stuff. So um, I can't wait for that thing to come out, man. I'm I'm really excited about. It. Like I said, Shane told me about it. You told me a little bit about it, but I can't wait to like. So who's all in it? I mean, you don't have to name everybody, but you mentioned uh, Steve Gadd's in it, and yeah, Steve Gadd's talking. I got Zigaboo's a big part of it. Johnny V's a huge part of it. Uh, Stanton Moore, uh, Jellybean, Raymond Weber, Russell Batiste, uh, Adonis Rose, Jason Marsalis. Uh, Carlo Nucio, Alan Robinson, um, Herlin Riley, nice. Shannon Powell, you know, man, Herlin Riley and Shannon Powell are the two. Those are the two most New Orleans drummers you ever hear in your life. I know. They're, they're just, but they're, they are, everybody has a personality in this thing. You know, Ricky Sebastian's in it. Uh, I interviewed this lady, Leslie Smith, who was a singer way back in the day that played with all these guys and, used to party with all these guys. So she had stories that nobody even knew. It's just a lot of, we have a neuroscientist talking about how drummers are, <laughs> it's like, nice. it's crazy. Everything, everything's intertwined. And, and then we also, as far as talking about the future of new Orleans drumming, we have this little drummer, um, 
named Tudda. I think his name's T-U-D-D-A. And he uh, he studies with the drummer from the Rebirth Brass Band. He's like, I want to say he's like nine years old. And you, you'll see him on this video playing some serious snare uh, rudimental stuff. And and um, we had a crawfish ball. I had a big crawfish ball where everybody came and, um, you know, kind of celebrated. And uh, that was kind of the ending of the movie. So we, we're um, – like I say, it's it's in it's in the it's in the building stage right now. We have to have it done by January, July first, because we're trying to put it in film festivals. So right. the rough cut will be done, and then by by August first, the whole movie should be done. And uh, once I get a link, I'll send it to you. Awesome, man. And awesome. uh, you know, and I want to go to certain cities and and show it too. You know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. San Francisco and New Orleans are definitely a direct connection because um, you know, they just always um those that's the brother or sister city in my opinion yeah you know it's i mean because always bands from here are always playing there right and vice versa like yeah you know uh and um you know new york nashville la austin mm-hmm. i want to go to all these cities and show this movie and you know um but yeah I'm, I'm very excited that's where all my time energy is when i'm not recording or, or touring i'm doing this and it's it's uh I've been working for two and a half years, so it's like you want to pull your hair out, man. I it's tell you undertaking, what. man. Oh that is god, an undertaking. It's a, it's definitely a labor of love. I will tell you that, <laughs> you know. man. Well, I can't I can't wait to see it. I'm glad that you're uh, that you are putting in the labor to to do it. And like I said, once it's out, let me know. I want to check it out. If you're doing oh. a showing, you know, in any city, I would love to come. Will do. Um, but I want to thank you for for taking the time to chat, man. Big thanks to Shane Terrio for connecting us. And uh, oh, thanks, man. I appreciate yeah. it. Thank you so much for having me. I had a blast. Of course. Anytime. Anytime. We'd love to have you back. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks again. Thanks, Nick. All right. That was Doug Belote. You can find show notes, all that fun stuff at drummersresource.com forward slash session 397. And also... Let me know what you got out of this episode. I want to start asking more about the particular episodes, or I want to start learning more about the particular episode. So when you listen to this, after you're done, hit me up on Instagram. I'm at Nick at the Nick. I'm on every all the channels at the Nick Ruffini. You can send me an email, whatever you want to do. Let me know what you got out of this, what your favorite part was, or any takeaways that you have. I always love hearing that feedback, and if you can do that, it helps me with the podcast it helps me find what resonates with you what you want to learn more about what you like hearing about all that fun stuff so in turn it helps the the quality of the podcast so hit me up let me know do it i mean it's easy on social to just reach out and just let me know what you liked about it what you got out of it some key points that you took away whatever it is i want to hear your comments so hook me up with those and other than that I got nothing else for you. I hope you have a great day. Hope you have the rest of your week is uh, is really good. And until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll be talking to you soon. Peace.